my calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's showtime. Right, welcome everybody to another episode of the VHS Strikes Back. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hey there, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to the VHS Strikes Back, the show where we dust off the old video player and go on a nostalgic journey to look at the good and the bad movies of yesteryear. Now, Chris, we've got a little bit of a different one this week. So obviously we've been in this pandemic, we've been in lockdown for so long. And uh, one of our good friends, you know, Max had some bad news, you know, good friend of both of us. And of course, he's the host of the mandatory Marvel and DC uh, show across on the Comics in Motion podcast. And so we just wanted to do something, uh, you know, something for Max. And so this whole show... uh, is kind of dedicated to him and we asked him what would you like us to review and what did he say chris there can only be one <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> the highlander there can, Dave. <laughs> there can be only one that's it that's better yeah that's it. you have definitely been practicing it now anyone who's didn't listen to the dark knight rise and comics in motion or our impressions are either good or fucking awful and uh but max he's a great guy david and when we sort of put our heads together and we said let's do something for him we had to ask him his favorite movie but i'm not going lightly on this one dave i'm sorry max wouldn't expect it i'm sorry he's got to be done so uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, what about yourself there? So what do you remember about this movie? Well, uh, uh, what I remember is to actually tell listeners what it fucking is. <laughs> I just you said the Highlander. Did, did, yeah, did you? Did, yeah. Oh, fucking hell. I should, I should, so you're I too bored about your impressions, Dave. That's brain, what I mean. Brain fart. No, so it's the 1986 <laughs> Highlander movie, which if you did say that, obviously I wasn't listening. I heard the impression. <laughs> I heard you say, I could be the one. <laughs> yeah. Very good. I can't even do it. I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna to have to pause myself as you're talking. Time practice. I, I I tell you what, Chris. What I am not going to attempt is a Scottish French accent, Portuguese <laughs> Spanish. You mean? <laughs> oh, we'll fucking get into that. I, I, and I've got to say, yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure how uh, fondly Max will think of this review from my side either. But but we'll see about that. Now, Chris. I've got to say, I don't think I saw this one on the, even rented out on the video. I don't really remember it because the first kind of scene that I remember is more after, you know, uh, Connor McLeod gets sort of abandoned and he's with his rather lovely young lady there in this kind of idyllic setting and that you've got a bit of queen uh, who wants to live forever kind of playing away there. I think I've just watched this the first time on the TV, so I kind of picked it up, uh, not quite halfway through, but, you know, at the end of the first act kind of thing, and then taped it off the TV when it was on again, and, and then just watched it over and over again. I used to think this was brilliant. I could never quite understand the accent thing that was going on, <laughs> you know, and I still don't know if I do even now, but I, I always remember it, and it, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? And I guess the only disappointing thing was that the, the the sequels didn't really ever live up to this first one, but definitely a favourite of mine, Chris. What about yourself? <laughs> well, Dave, I'm 
telling you now before I get into that. <laughs> Highlander 2, The Quickening, has a rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 0%, David. It's at 2.7 on IMDb, so we are definitely going to be reviewing that at some wow. point. Apparently, it is one of the worst sequels ever made. I have seen it, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what happens. I'd have to watch it again. I do know there's some dodgy skateboard uh, sword scene, which I remember, but other than that, I can't remember what he's supposed to be utter horseshit, Dave. So that's definitely going to go on the list. If you piss me off one week, Dave, I'm throwing that in there as my choice. <laughs> 2.7 on IMDb. Yeah. Even Honestly. Eat My Dust was like five, five and a half, yeah. wasn't it? Honestly. <laughs> don't buy And Slayer was 5.6, I seem to remember. <laughs> wow. Oh, unbelievable. That is, that is the worst. That is yeah. the worst scoring, I think, I, I, I've known on IMDb. I think what makes it worse, and I will get into a little background on this movie, is this film and the second film, so the, the original Highlander we're reviewing today, The Quickening, both were absolute box office flops. Highlander actually became a bit of a success in the rental scene and buying it on VHS, but it made $12.9 million at the box office off a budget of 19 this. And the second one was it made 15 million off a budget of 34 dave and then he made another four sequels so how the hell that was passed at these studios i do not know so we've had six highlander movies um and i used to watch the tv show actually which wasn't actually that bad to be honest but uh yeah completely for me an unbelievable series of movies that made no money but just kept getting remade which i just find bizarre like you say, it must have been the kind of rental market, and I, I guess these these were British produced movies, weren't they as well? So probably the expectations of the amount of profit are probably a little bit less, you know. So it it does seem strange, and I I never watched the TV series. I couldn't tell you anything about the sequels either, uh, which tells its own story. Maybe if we watch them, I'm sure we're going to watch them at some point, aren't we? But uh, it probably remind me. But the fact that you've had so many, I think it just captures the imagination, doesn't it? And across on comics, obviously, you know, we've we've looked at that old guard, and basically, that's almost you can see the influence of uh, of Highlander in that. You know, you've basically got these immortals walking around us. Okay, they take a different spin on it. They're, they're operating for the military and what have you. But I, I just think it really captures the imagination way more than the actual execution of it. Yeah, I do. And and just to give you a little backstory on this, Dave, like I always say about my cousin forcing me, who's the, got me into bodybuilding, he was into it uh, when I was a kid and making me watch the Arnie stuff. This is one of his favourite films that I had to watch as well. I have been force-fed this fucking film about 20 times and literally I've never watched it. This is probably the first time I've... I said to you, I think I'd watched it on my own, but I was when we talked privately. And, but when I'm looking back now... I have never watched this movie other than when I've been under the dress of my cousin who was built like a fucking brick shithouse at the time, uh, standing over me going, we're watching this, and then having to sit there while he does impressions of everybody. And at the end, we had to pause it on the video while he went, there can only be one. You know, and obviously... Oh, I, you then fucked 20... it. You fucked it. What did Why? you say? There can only be... No, it's not that same. There can only be one. Fuck it, no, <laughs> Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Exactly. There can be, there can be only one. Yeah, that one. Keep doing it, Dave. It's like a, oh, it's a bit of a cross between um, Yoda, that one, Dave, but it's pretty close. It's better than mine, anyway. It's but, a yeah. weird-looking ass French. Oh, it's ridiculous. Thing, but we'll get onto his accent a bit later. But yeah, I was I was made to watch this over and over again. 
and my cousin would rave about it. And I, I, and I wasn't into, you know, I'm not into sorcery sort of thing, this sort of stuff. However, I think as time went on, I sort of had an affection to it, Dave, maybe with sort of rose-tinted glasses, watching it in 2020, but knowing everything about him, because I mentioned to you when the Kurgan meets, he's in the zoo, isn't he, with the girl, uh, yeah. the police officer woman, or CIA, thinking whatever, CIS, what she's called, and then... Um, he comes behind the curve and the music changes, but no, a lot, a lot of people notice that bit. But he's there watching her and, and stuff like that. So all them bits were pointed out to me, Dave, on a loop. So there's probably stuff I'll pick out in this movie. But the one thing that I never realised, haven't watched this all this time, is how an Egyptian Spaniard still sounds Scottish. So we'll get into that, Dave, after the trailer. Let's get into it. <laughs> From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. uncertain of his future. What you got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700. Not possible. And haunted by his past. Wait a minute, Nash. I want some answers. You cannot die, MacLeod. I am Connor MacLeod of the Clan MacLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. I am immortal. <laughs> A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. What can you tell me about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one o'clock in the morning, New York City, 1985? Not much. For he is not alone. In the end... <laughs> There can be only one. Highlander, there can be only one. And here we are, we're the princes of the universe. And we Now we open up, Chris, with a bit of wrestling, which, to be honest, I, and I think this probably goes back to my time, you know, when I first watched this film and, and they were already in the Scottish Highlands, but we actually open up with a bit of wrestling. And I, I had to look down and I was thinking, have I got the right movie? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> and then we see uh, Connor McLeod. He's uh, he's watching a bit of, bit of the old wrestling here. And then he meets up with this guy who pretty much looks like the Equalizer. He looks like maybe he's going to sell you some insurance, but it turns out he's a ninja samurai with awesome acrobatic skills. And they duel off and he ends up removing his head and we get a big electronic kind of lightning show in the, in the car park there. Now, Chris, what do you make to the opening of this movie? 
Well, I'd actually forgotten, Dave, slightly about the wrestling angle and then realised that I kept thinking from a distance, one of them is Ric Flair, but it wasn't. One of them's a guy, the one who does like the sort of gyrating, he's a guy called Michael uh, Hayes, who's out of the Freebirds, massive. Uh, and Terry Gordy as well. There's some really big wrestlers in there. So it was a genuine event that they've used. However, oh, I, I really want to say how brilliant it is because of Max and stuff, Dave. And Max will have got the wrestling reference because he's been on my show uh, on the Wrestling Gold loads of times. But this is utter manure at the start. The way he goes into the car park, and when he's in the car park, we get a guy who looks like the baddie out of No Cheat, No Surrender 3 with the glasses on. Uh, he's about 60, but Dave, I've got to say, the age deceives what his body can do, my friend. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I, again, Max would expect nothing less from us, but my favourite bit in this, Chris, and it is because it is so ridiculous. I mean, I, I kind of like the setup, and uh, actually, one of the first things that jumped out at me is that old eighties. You know, he's got his flasher Mac on, his his jeans, and big white eighties trainers, Chris. It's <laughs> like fucking hell, that is not a good look. But um, you know, they're they're dueling away there, and you've got this kind of cat and mouse bit. Apart from when this old guy who looks like he'd struggled to touch his toes starts inexplicably doing backflips all the way down the car park for absolutely no reason. You know, they kind of hide him from each other. They ultimately want to cut each other's heads off, but he's just doing this, this energy sapping series of backflips all the way down the car park. And I was just like, you know what I thought, Chris? You know, I thought to one specific movie, what was it? No cheat, no surrender. I don't know. Wait, Jim Carter. One of the sequels. No treat, no surrender. Three. When, a, when basically, yeah, yeah. You get, when you get, especially when the dad gets killed off, and then you <laughs> you switch to these cool action sequences where his dad shrinks about a foot, and then has you know a, a blatant massive wig on. And the lighting changes and everything. It was just so obvious that, that it was someone different. Also, actually, Chris, I said the third one. What about the second one where Lauren Avedon's got his got his mate with him? His old mate, again, probably couldn't touch his toes, but suddenly is doing all the splits and everything and spinning kicks. You know, and again, it's just so obviously a, a switch to a stunt double. I just thought, oh, come on. I, and at that point, Chris, I must admit, I was thinking... Oh fuck! This is not going to go well. This, <laughs> oh, Dave, you've got to say, you've got to say, you're right. The back, the, the thing is, in the context of the fight, the backflips, right? I mean, there's just no contextual way that they're even in this guy's wheelhouse or movement. What he's doing, he's fought like an old man. I still can't work out, and I'm sure Max may tell us this, and I don't know if you know this, but these ones that are immortal, they obviously get to an age, and then did they become immortal? Because obviously. Christopher Lambert's, what is he, like 30-odd in this? Sean Connery's 50s. And then this guy who he's fighting is probably the same age as Connery, 50, 60. And, and then they're supposed to be immortal. I, I don't understand the logic behind that, whether like they just there's a gene that switches on. I don't know how that works. Are they just born an adult? I think you might be thinking about it a bit too much. I know, but it, it just <laughs> makes no sense to me, Dave. But but anyway, that that the way that guy's fought against Christopher Lambert, uh, Connor at this point, 
he's not in keeping with him doing a fucking Jim Carter down this fucking... He fucking was. It, and you're right to mention Jim Carter as well, because if you remember in Jim Carter when he's, he's trying to chat up that girl and then he just does these flips and, and so he's got his, the back of yeah. his head pointed to her. It, it reminded me of that scene and I was like, this yeah. is fucking ridiculous. Even if he could do them, why would you expel all that energy and make yourself a massive fucking target at the same time? It's like Conor McLeod should just have fucking thrown his sword or whatever at him, you know, and, and just fucking skewered him like a kebab. Yeah, I, I I didn't buy any of that, I must admit. It's funny to watch. And then you see me, obviously, decapitate, decapitates, decapitates him throws his sword on the top and does a runner and he gets away in a nice little Porsche there, Dave. I think that was the, the actual Porsche that James Dean, unfortunately, uh, demised in. Right. Uh, one of the original Porsches, that. But, yeah, he, he gets caught then, doesn't he? The police there give him... What makes me laugh is all this. That weird copper who just starts giving him shit for no reason <laughs> at all. Just, like, from the minute he arrests him, he's on, he's on him for aggro. This guy has done nothing wrong as far as they can see. Yeah, he's in the middle of a crime, someone's had their head decapitated, he looks like the only suspect, but he's still innocent until proven guilty. And he, for all intents and purposes, chins a copper Connor <laughs> yeah. as well in the police station. <laughs> it's just like, he won't get away with that. And this copper's like, oh, everyone... And then what's even better is you've got like, like they're watching some sort of circus act or some something bad, and you've got these people genuinely just kicking... 10 tons of shit out of the railings and everything with the coppers, like, yeah, go, go, and all this is proper weird. Yeah. It, it, it did make me laugh that when he fucking chins the copper, though, and it's like, we're going to let you go. You've done nothing wrong. <laughs> it's like, well, what about assault on an officer? You just, you just fucking literally done that right now. But um, yeah, no, it, it was. Again, like I say, when he, when he was doing the backflips, that's the moment I was thinking, oh, fuck. And then it kind of continues that. But for me, Chris, it gets a bit better when he goes. So he's been arrested in the in the modern day, you know, the modern day being 1985 in this case. And, you know, we go back to kind of the Scottish Highlands in 1536 it is. And we get him, you know, being... For some reason, the Kurgan has got it in. You know, he knows, even though Conor McLeod doesn't know, but the Kurgan somehow knows that he's immortal. So he's seeking him out on the battlefield. And he does, he he gets, a, the Kurgan gets a good uh, shot on him, on, on him there. And he obviously everyone thinks he's dead at that point. Now, what did you make of that whole kind of battle scene, Chris? You know what, Dave? It's quite funny because for someone who, you know, I'm always moaning about these sort of films. I think then when they're doing them sort of settings, it works better for the character than the newer settings yeah. in like the 85 New York. And I'll tell you now, I remember watching this and thinking the same time, but I'm not, I don't care what anyone says. I know it's William Wallace in that, but Mel Gibson has ripped off Conor McLeod's outfit when he was yeah. in uh, Braveheart. The whole setting is an. I don't know whether there was inspiration for his character, the hair, everything. He's exactly the same as William Wallace in. in and obviously that came like early nineties, didn't it? But I think it was pretty good. To be fair, the Kurgan, the way he comes down into the battle and that, pretty good. It very much Game of Thrones uh, feeling about him. And I love the fact, Dave, that he is this absolute head the ball. He's he's stronger, more physically, uh, towers over Connor. And you know I like that sort of thing. So I, I'm with you. I've got a few things to say about when we come to present day or 1985 with the Kurgan and uh, Connor. But I think at that point, I'm invested in it. However, 
when fucking Connery comes into it, he's a fucking fast, Dave. He's done a brand away all along. He's just took the money. <laughs> I mean, we'll get on to him in a sec. But the thing I noticed about the battle scene, though, so, I mean, it works well on the camera. You know, the camera is pointing. You've got this little square box that you can see. The Kurgan is this... He's the mountain from Game of Thrones, isn't he? You know, big, yes. so much more intimidating than anyone else. He's obviously got it in for Connor McLeod. He figures out who he is. He, he makes that, he, he sort of stabs him. And Connor McLeod, you know, and everyone else around him thinks that they're dead. And then you have, you know, some of the other clansmen sort of uh, push the Kurgan back. And then that's it, end scene. But I'm like, what happened after that? Surely, with the size of the Kurgan, you know, he, he would have probably, he'd eventually overcome these other blokes. I mean, he's fucking immortal. He, he's got control of his powers and everything. He, he knows kind of what the score is. So surely, you know, they're in the middle of the fucking Highlands. You know, how did Conor McLeod actually get away with his head in this scene? That That's what I didn't get. Dave. You just pulled me up. No, I know. You know, if, no, I agree. I agree. So for me, you know, they, they should have like, you know, skewered the Kurgan because they're not, you know, they're a bit, bit like Wolverine, aren't they? It's not like they can't feel pain or anything. They, they just heal from it. So, you know, if they'd have kind of killed off the Kurgan or something, then I could have believed, you know, that by the time the Kurgan kind of repairs and wakes up and whatever, everyone's gone. That's how Conor McLeod got away. But it was just the fact that it ended right there after they, you know, uh, tackled him and moved him about 10 yards away. If, he, if the Kurgan knows he's one of the immortals, he'd have finished the job right there and then, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would have. I mean, they piled on him, didn't they? But I think what I struggle with, and I know like, I'm, I'm taking the mic, Dave, because I agree, there's some real leaps that you've just got to sort of completely forget about the plot, the idea behind it, is where the fuck has the Kurgan been? And how has Conor McLeod never come across this guy in all these years, Dave? Because, you know, you've got Conor there, aren't you, fighting various people through the years. You see him in World War Two, picking his... You know, he goes through losing his wife and everything when he's still in the Highlands, in like 15, whatever it is. You've got all this stuff, haven't you? He rescues the girl, she works for him. And, and you get a little backstory of him. Surely, sure, I know there was no internet and stuff like that, but surely the Kurgan would have come on his radar in 400 years. Has he been sat in a fucking cave or something? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch sides for a bit. Chris, because it's going to be too easy to just make holes in this one. So I'm going to leap across. I'm going to borrow something from the comics, actually. So the, the way they explain it with like the X-Men is when they're born, they have the X gene, but it only kind of manifests itself. It only presents itself when they go through adolescence. So, you know, as kids, you know, can you imagine if, if like Wolverine was just skewering everyone you know, uh, when he's like yeah. five years old, when he gets a bit pissed off. So they get to a certain age, you know, like 13, 14, 15, whatever, and then they get all their powers. So I wonder if in this universe, you know, they don't really realize they're immortal until, well, you actually you wouldn't, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't notice you were immortal unless someone tried to kill you and then you woke up, like in Conor McLeod's case. But it could be, you know, because they can sense where each other where each other are, can't they? So maybe it's a case where, it, you know, at the age 30 or whatever, Conor's, you know, uh, immortal genes have kicked in and then he's appeared on 
uh, the Kurgan's radar and uh, Sean Connery's uh, Ramirez, of course. And then that's how they both find him. That's how I'm going to justify it. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? (laughs) There is a little bit of that, isn't there? Because when the Kurgan does kill him, and he comes into the bar. The whole fucking village turn on him, don't they? He's, he's gang and that kicked the shit out yeah. of him. But I would believe all that and say that is the point when he became immortal. He realized that he was immortal. Yeah. It's the fact that when the Kurgan goes to attack him, he even says there can only be one. There you know, can be the only first one. Bat- there can only yeah, there can be only one. There can, there's only there one. can be only one. Yeah, there can be only one. There well, aren't he, anyone he, else. <laughs> he says that, doesn't he, in that first yeah, battle, yeah, which yeah. which alludes to the fact that he already knows. So I think that if that little bit of I know it's not stupid, but if that line wasn't in the movie, I could believe without thinking too deeply into it that the minute he got sorted and ended up in the bar alive, everyone that's when he realised he was immortal. But he doesn't he doesn't deliver it that way. So it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, look, I- I'm with you, Dave. There's some terrible leaps and some real bad story plot holes, but I actually enjoy watching it. You know, yeah. I-, I genuinely, I'm taking the mick, but it's a good 80s movie. The only thing I would say is the Queen stuff is fantastic yeah. and it's wasted on such a fucking pretty much average film. Such a waste on, on you know, It's a Kind of Magic is just an unbelievable song. And you've got like, you know, um, we got Hammer to Falls in there. I know that was done before this, but you've got you know, Wanna Live Forever and things like that. It's just amazing songs. And when, when you hear them in the movie, they sound too polished to be in this movie. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just for me, they sound like they've been dubbed in and, and they're just too good for what's being expressed on the screen. Yeah, I mean, they, they were fully bought into this, though, weren't they? I mean, straight away, you know, with the start of it, you start off with Princes of the Universe. And, and this is almost like Flash levels of, of scoring by Queen, isn't it? I don't yeah. think it's it's quite held in the same regard. But i I got to tell you, Chris, one of, the, uh, one of the songs, so Who Wants to Live Forever, was written to this you know it was, it was written for this screenplay kind of thing and that's one of those songs that just absolutely gets me and i remember watching this and probably not the first time because i jumped in halfway through the story but the second time of watching it when i understood more about who it was you sort of you know when you're younger you sort of think well yeah being immortal that'd be fucking great that wouldn't it and this was the first story yeah. that i kind of looked at and was like well, actually, no, it'd be a bit shit, wouldn't it? Everyone you love and everyone you care for would grow old and die around you. It's fucking horrible. And, you know, there's something about just that realisation and the 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 feel and the lyrics and everything to that Queen song, Who Wants to Live Forever. I can't listen to that song without getting a bit emotional. I just think it's fucking brilliant. One of, one of my Desert Island songs, I would say. Actually, no, it probably shouldn't be because I'd want to fucking walk into the sea. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it does really strike a chord with me, that. and um, But, Chris, we've got to get on to our Egyptian Spaniard. Because oh before I, I let the ra- let you off the reins on him, right? So, so the, the bit, bit, bit of talking at the start, you know, it sounds a little bit echoey, and you know, apparently that's because when Sean Connery was practicing his Spanish dialect, you know, he was he was practicing sounding like a Spaniard. He, he just recorded it in his bathroom, 
And, you know, they ended up thinking, right, that's really good. We'll use that for the film. That's why it doesn't, you know, it's not in a proper recording booth or whatever. Now, when I found out about this, I'm like, are you fucking shitting me? A fucking Spanish dialect coach. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> now, you know, Connery, we, well, we know he's probably not the, the happiest go lucky chap to, to work with. And I can only think that he had like about fucking half an hour with this guy. And he's like, oh, I fucking nailed this. <laughs> 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 Fuck off. I'm not paying you anything. <laughs> oh, I fucking got a Spanish thing right down to a T. <laughs> <laughs> That's something more Spanish than him, Dave. <laughs> what do you make of uh, Marlon Brando here? Sorry, Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery. <laughs> I, look, I love Sean Connery in James Bond. He isn't my favourite James Bond. I think Daniel Craig is just picking Roger Moore these days. I know Sean Connery ever raves about, and he's great in him. Don't we? Diamonds are forever. He's in Vegas. Love it. Love it. Love the, like, you know, Doctor No, Goldfinger, things like that. Brilliant. And I love him, Dave, in one of my favourite... He's probably my top 20, Dave. I know the top 20 gets bigger by the episode, but I love The Untouchables, and we will do that at some point on here. And he's fantastic. But he plays an Irish guy in The Untouchables with the same Scottish accent. Now, he hasn't really got a Scottish accent per se, has he? He's got a little bit of a twang, but this it's not obviously Queen's England. He's got the Scottish part of him. He does not give a fuck, Connery. I believe he's a bit of an arse on set, or he used to be. And he doesn't care that he doesn't sound anything like uh, a Scot, an Egyptian, Spanish, Portuguese, whatever he's supposed to be. He does not care one bit, Dave. And this is just reining it in completely. He's absolutely stealing a living for this one. I think what's interesting about it is I I timed his presence in the movie, his actual physical presence, uh, other than the fucking Yoda bit we get later on, which is utter bollocks. Uh, but he's, he's in the film for about 12 minutes, Dave. 12 <laughs> fucking minutes. And then he gets decimated by the Kurgan, doesn't he? It's just... I don't think he does anything wrong, but what makes you laugh is in the second one, and to be fair, when you look at the reviews, he was probably right not to come in it. He was literally dragged and screamed to the set. He did not want to do the second one at all. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, not only is he only in it for 12 minutes, so for those glorious 12 minutes, Chris, they was all done in a week of shooting. So from literally turning up to, you know, packing his bags and, and saying, see ya, was a week, and he got a million dollars for that. <laughs> it's like, Good work, the, David. Good you've work. Got a whole, you've got Dothan cap to him, haven't you? You know, fair play to him. I mean, the whole film cost 19 million. So, you know, to get a, a good old slice of that for his 12 minutes, I think is pretty fucking spectacular. But I, I think, to be fair, I mean, he is, he doesn't seem that engaged, does he? But it's its quite an iconic role. And, and like you say, whether he's Irish, whether he's a Spaniard, whether he's a Russian submarine commander, it's always the same accent, isn't it? Which just, it just made me laugh about this whole, uh, you know, practicing his Spanish accent thing. You know what it reminded me of, Dave, as a massive fan of Jean-Claude Van Damme, is whenever Van Damme was in a film set in America, there always was the backstory that, like in fucking Double Impact, when he plays his brothers, you know, he went and lived in France with his fucking auntie or whatever the hell it was, whatever the story was. There's always an angle with Van Damme because he hasn't got an American accent. He's purely a Belgian playing, you know, he's trying to be... (laughs) 
American-ish. There's always an angle about why he doesn't sound American. He's got like, yeah, lived in uh, France all his life, or his dad was in the army, travelled a lot, he spent a lot of time. There's always some bullshit excuse because he just hasn't got the range to go American. And I, I know it's pretty difficult with his original um, language. This is what it's like in here. You've got Christopher Lambert's fucking accent, which is all over the fucking show. One minute his Scottish accent sounds pretty good when he says like the you know the Clan McLeod and all yeah. that. The next minute it's shit. Then we get a bit of French thrown in, there. and then all we get is a one-liner about I've travelled around the world a lot. You know, it's like oh fuck off because you're not a good actor. You just be coming up with what a great bit of writing. It's like me coming on then and saying to me. Can you speak Spanish? And I go, see, anything else? No, no, I lived in Manchester. What happened was I went to Manchester and lived there for 20 years and, and bought me in a Spanish movie. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. But I love the fact that they've thrown it in there because you know how shit Christopher Lambert is. And obviously Connery's that stubborn. He's not going to change the way he acts. Yeah, no, I, th- I, think, it, I, I think there was some rapid backpedaling. I don't think... You know, as iconic as it is, and I, I do enjoy this movie, I, absolutely, but I think if it was me casting, I, I wouldn't have cast him. I mean, he'd done Tarzan before this, hadn't he? Which was basically a non-speaking role, pretty much, and, and that's, you know, him at his best, I think. Um, but actually, you know, again, we come back to this Sean Connery three minute, uh, 12 minutes, wasn't it? And yeah, but he explains the rules of the universe for us. He talks about you know the immortals and the fact they can sense each other. You've got the the quickening, so when you decapitate one of the other guys, you absorb all of their kind of energy and everything. And then at some point, they'll be pulled to a faraway land. You know, the gathering. Good excuse to have it set in New York. And uh, so yeah, I, I think in that condensed time, you learn the whole kind of uh, mythos, you know, the whole legend around the Highlander and, and what's going on here. So I, I think that was good. And then what, what I'd never really understood, Chris, so after we get a little bit of a montage, it's not quite rocky, is it? But, you know, we, we get some sword fighting and, um, you know, he's sort of teaching him the ways of the, the immortals. I don't. I never quite understood, and maybe I've just missed a, a line of dialogue or something. So when the Kurgan tracks Ramirez down and Heather's there, you know, love of Connor's life, I I didn't quite understand where Connor was at this point because it's kind of late at night. You know, you've got all the lightning going and everything, but Connor was just nowhere to be found. Did did I miss something in that? I, I'm the same because. He couldn't have gone back. If he was on like, you know, like you've seen Game of Thrones, we'd go for months, wouldn't they? And they'd be like in a battle, but they would have to travel, wouldn't they, to wherever they were going to battle. They don't just open your front door and these 500 people ready to battle your army. So uh, he was he was totally jettisoned, bonnie by his village. He was living peacefully out. So I, I, there, was no, he was, there was no dialogue. There's no mention why he isn't there. I honestly, honestly don't know. I, I, I've always wondered that watching it this time, it's really... It's really in your face. You're thinking, well, that doesn't makes no sense at all. Yeah, I, I think. I, I mean, uh, I guess again, probably thinking too deeply about it. You know, he's just away, isn't he? Maybe he's out hunting or something. But ultimately, you know, he's not. He's not away with work, is he? You know, he's not like. There's no reason for me for him to be away and leave Ramirez and Heather there. But no, yeah, I mean, we get I, I think again, uh, when this scene played out with uh, the sword fight between uh, the Kurgan and Ramirez, I, I thought it was quite iconic. It's obviously not 
you know, to modern day sword fighting uh, scenes, it, it doesn't really hold up. But but for that for that time, I thought it was um, it, it it was adequate. But what I found a bit weird, Chris. <laughs> so, I don't, uh, yeah, how do I approach this one? This might be a thorny issue. This, right? So, half of the castle is is decimated by lightning, presumably because you've got these very powerful immortals. You've got Ramirez and the Kurgan, you know, fighting each other, and and Ramirez. So Connery gets a good slice in into his neck, which we see, you know. He doesn't heal from fully, does he, even years later? But then when when Ramirez gets to the top of the staircase and... How do I put this, Chris? The Kurgan penetrates him from behind. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with you, Dave. At a kind of upwards angle. And then he gets right into close into whispering into his ear <laughs> just thought, is this some sort of is this some sort of homoerotic imagery that they're trying to get away with here I, it just for me it was a pretty blatant scene at what they were hinting at there chris yeah it was but also dave why the fuck is his wife just running backwards and forwards at the bottom like she's a fucking mouse or a dog like legging it up and down why didn't she open the door and get the fuck out yeah. of there? If this guy who's seven foot tall, which he was billed earlier in when he had the first battle, he's seven foot the Kurgan. He's twice the size of Sean Connery. Now, Sean Connery in real life is about six foot three, Dave, six foot. He was at his peak. He's a big guy. And the guy who plays him, obviously, um, what's it called? Uh, Clancy, Clancy Brown. Brown. Yep. Clancy Brown. He's he's a big guy. He must be six, 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 seven, something like that. But they make him look even bigger. Dave, I'm sorry. I wouldn't even want to take this guy on. I'd be out of the fucking door yeah. because she was offering no, no thing. It was just one of them typical scenes where it was like, just open the door and run. Shout for Connor if not, or, or if not, just go and hide somewhere. Don't just run up and down while you're dodging <laughs> bricks like a computer game. It just, that side of it, it, it's just, it just daft things that make no sense. However, Dave, there's two things I want to talk about in this movie that really, really, I'm, I, and I know Max is listening like, Chris, I'm going to get you back. He's going to come <laughs> and decimate one of my films. Is in present day, 85, Connor has got the worst Operation U-Tree smug, weird, leery smile smirk going on. <laughs> Every time someone says something, he has these proper... I've got some puppies in the back of my car. Look, <laughs> it's proper dodgy, Dave. He's got no smolder or anything about him. He's just proper weird as a lead man. So, so that's my first take, Dave. I mean, what did you pick up on that at all? I, I didn't, to be honest. I mean, he, he looks, yeah. Again, I, I don't think Lambert's cast brilliantly. There's just something about him, something about his look. Um, I, I don't think the Mac helps. It's kind of equalizer Mac. You know, but yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't come across to me Operation U Tree, to be honest. Yeah, I, it's just something weird when he goes to her apartment and then she's recording the conversation and he's like, "There's a cop down there." He starts rooting through all the fucking stuff. The fucking nosy bastard. You know, it's like, why would you even do that and go through someone's house? Just proper bullshit. However, I'm putting this on the table now. This is me drawing a line in the sand. This film. Is a complete ripoff of the Terminator, Dave. An absolute grade A ripoff of the Terminator. 
that you cannot convince me anything else. The guy who's made this movie's gone. I really like the Terminator, but I can't really copy it. So let me think of something else I can do. I'll tell you what, I'll make him immortal and I'll make it so that, you know, they've got to do this different battle. But the beat for beat of this movie is the Terminator. The way the Kurgan goes in the fucking hotel. The guy in the hotel's a wise ass. He's in there like Arnie was in Terminator. <laughs> oh, yeah. The way he comes out, exactly the way he's chasing Connor around, going after the woman. You might as well have just called him fucking uh, Sarah Connor. He was an absolute rip-off of the Terminator. This From about an hour in, it's just the Terminator for me. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean about the hotel, actually. So in that modern day, but I, I tell you what, Chris, I, in fact, let's come back to the Kurgan because I think he's just a fucking great baddie, to be honest. And, and again, is, Clancy Brown, fun. for me... This is his best role. I know he's been in tons of stuff since. You know, he's in Shawshank, wasn't he? Uh, Starship Troopers. But for me, this is his iconic role. The actual original script was like a, a screenwriting thing for a, a, an undergraduate program. So the guy who wrote it was a guy called Gregory Whidden. Um, and he, he was just on a trip across from the US in Scotland. And, you know, he's kind of looking at these bits of suits of armor in his castle and he's like hmm, i wonder if you know people who wore this were alive today and that was it that was the germ of an idea that he ended up writing a bit from uh, you know the highlander kind of spawned from but the, the way it all goes with the screenwriting it gets passed from writer to writer and they all kind of add their little bits and their bits get taken out so all this stuff about the quickening and all that that was sort of added in later drafts and so i think what's probably happened so this was this was what 86 obviously first terminator was 84 so probably you know in one of those last drafts they've just taken some of the beats from terminator so i don't think that you know the whole thing wasn't sort of created and uh because do you think about it you've got a screenplay it's got to be commissioned someone's got to st stump up all the cash and everything you've got to get all the actors on board all the filming all the sets and everything so i don't think it's the whole film is a rip-off terminator but definitely that hotel bit pretty much is and uh yeah yeah even his outfit, Dave, his outfit is the same as bloody what Arnie's wearing minus the coat. It's just, he's a great, I love him. I think Kurgan, to be fair, is the best character in this because I was shit scared of him as a kid. I hated him, Dave, and I agree. I totally agree. There's just something about it just reminds me of the Terminator, the whole beats of it and everything. And the, even the way he's dressed, he's almost Kyle Reese, the way he's dressed, um, you know, McLeod. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, right. that, that, old kind of costume thing yeah you, you're kind of right I, I guess mind you it was the mid 80s wasn't it didn't everyone wear those kind of rain max like say the equalizer I yeah, remember he true. did it so uh, maybe it's that but I think the fact that the Kurgan is just fucking huge and intimidating but it's when you know and he's obviously in some punk rocker sort of mid 80s flea pit hotel so when the guy says something to him he just turns around and he's like don't talk to me. <laughs> you know? And he's just got yeah. that sinister voice and phrasing around everything that he says. This guy is one of the most iconic 80s baddies, I think. I agree. I I'm not going to take that away. And for that, it elevates the movie because he's a great baddie. It's unfortunate that the goodie is pretty rubbish and wooden. I will say, though, Dave, you cottoned on to something in one of our reviews regarding 
you know, like when I can't what it is, it's like in plain sight. It was somebody was hiding from somebody, but they used the real name. Whatever it was, I remember you talking about it. But the Kurgan over the years, if Christopher Lambert wanted to find him, Connor, his name was Victor Kurgan, <laughs> something else, Kurgan. I'm sure he could have got it in the phone it, book and gone, you know what? Is that bastard still around here, the Kurgan? You know, it's just like. It, it wasn't Star Wars, was it? Where, you know, you've got Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Luke Skywalker. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> you like said, didn't you? Darth Vader <laughs> for 30 years is like, hmm, I wonder. <laughs> well, that, that, that Skywalker. This, this guy who's on Tatooine, whose name carries my name as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and my. Um, is it his cousin or whatever it is? It, it's. It's some relation, isn't it? So the mother, Aunt Peru and... and uh, Uncle Owen. Yeah. Uncle Owen, yeah. It's an absolute farce, isn't it? That, that is the, the biggest blag ever that he's still called Skywalker. <laughs> but Darth Vader only senses him when he's about to attack the Death Star. But anyway, that's what this is like. The Kurgan's there in plain fucking sight. He's a, he's a man mounting with a weird voice, a cut across his neck, and he dresses like... He's about to go on a fucking rampage to kill everybody. It's uh, it's funny, but it's bizarre. I, t- I tell you which bit I did like, Dave, in this. I always remember it. He's the fucking Vietnam vet. He's driving a 455 oh, Christ, Pontiac yeah. Trans Am. And that is the Super Duty engine, which was one of the last ever rapid Trans Ams. It's a mint car. That it's so uh, lovely, it's dead fast as well. But when he pulls up and just he he just starts killing them both, doesn't he? So he kills like the Kurgan and the other guy. And when the Kurgan decapitates him and puts a sword through me, that's quite iconic that day. I remember that as a kid. It's great. That's, the, that's one and of the other immortals, isn't it? Sunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so he's he's killed him, and obviously the Kurgan then gets this uh, Vietnam guy. But no one questions the Vietnam vet. In, in when he's in hospital, the two coppers come and just sort of like they, they ignore the fact that he's just trying to kill two people. Yeah. He's like, I've put, I've put more, I've, I would put that much lead in it would have took a rhino down. And it's like, but you've just gone out and just vigilante style pulled out a submachine gun and killed two people potentially. And they're just saying to him like, "What's it like?" And he gives a description of the Kurgan and they fuck up. And it's like, now that is one way to get off a charge, Dave, without a doubt. <laughs> But again, you know, when the Kurgan skewers him, fucking, it's absolutely brutal, isn't it? Because again, you, you oh, know, he's yeah. not an immortal or anything. He's just a bloke, but again, massively iconic scene. And and like you say, you know, the police weren't saying, well, what are you doing with that fucking submachine gun? And, you know, just driving around with it. What exactly was your plan? You know, but I don't know. It's <laughs> fucking America in the 80s, isn't it, Chris? But... but, but... <laughs> Do you know what I was saying? Sorry, Dave, to yeah, keep yeah. talking. But you know what I would say? We've had no sort of foreshadow. We've had no build-up of this guy. It's not like he's been in, the, like, he, he's a little sub-story on the side going, I've heard about these immortals. I'm going to fucking kill them because, you know, you can't kill these guys or whatever. And he or he stumbled across a picture of Conor McLeod now, then, or whatever. He literally just turns up from nowhere yeah. and just finds <laughs> this fight, two guys having a sword fight from nowhere. That's the only bit of part that. That is just stupid. The rest of it is great. It's dead iconic. I, I give him that. And I agree with you. For me, Dave, I was really enjoying the Kurgan in this. Yeah. It really was. His performance is fantastic. Yeah, it, it is simply the best bit, isn't it? And I agree. It was like, again, it's one of those where I'm, I'm sort of watching it. And I, I, I'm paying attention, but I'm like, who is this guy? Because you know, like he, he just turns up, gives his statement. I guess the, the only real reason, apart from, you know, it's a cool scene 
to see him skewered and sort of held up in the air. And again, you're just thinking the Kurgan is just, he's Michael Myers, isn't he? He's Darth Vader. All, all these kind of baddies just really, really massive and strong and intimidating. And I just think the only reason f- for that was to see that scene. And then also he gives his statement to the police and then that's it. You never see him again. But um, I, one of the rules, actually, when, when Sean Connery uh, was spelling it all out back in, the, back in the Scottish Highlands was they can't fight on holy ground. And again, Chris, I, I keep you know salivating over Clancy Brown's performance of the Kurgan. But when he meets Conor McLeod in the... Or, or it's Russell Nash, isn't it? You know, his fake name is Alias. Yeah. But when they meet in the church, again, just absolutely intimidating you know he does not give a fuck all right he can't spill blood but he just doesn't give a shit and he's intimidating all the nuns and all the people just there trying to pray and stuff and of course that's when he he kind of lets it be known that you know he had his way with his uh with heather back in the day yeah and and i'll tell you what dave i've i've watched that scene twice because i even think to be fair christopher lambert's pretty good when he gets him round the neck and he goes, I'll be outside. And the Kurgan's like, we'll meet again. You know, it's like taking the piss out of him and he's to the fucking priest, the nuns. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a brilliant scene. I will give Christopher Lambert credit. That's probably the best scene for me in there because he proper goes in that. It was good. Do you think, because I, again, I, I maybe maybe I should watch it again, but I, I was transfixed with with Clancy Brown's performance, to be honest. The way he's fucking shaking his tongue at the at the nuns and everything. Yeah. Just so fucking disrespectful. <laughs> and you absolute fucking see you next Tuesday. But when he says that about Heather, I think it's the most wooden reaction from, from Connor. You know, I, I just think his face tells a story of fucking nothing. I mean, this is ultimately, that that is the proper love of his life. And basically, the Kurgan's saying, you know, it, it, the Kurgan thinks it's Ramirez's woman, as he describes her. But, you know, Connor knows better. And he's just put all the pieces together. That must have been absolutely soul-crushing. You know, not only had she, uh, you know, she died of old age, she never told him anything about it. And to find that out, must have been crushing. And Lambert's performance just tells me nothing about how the characters feel. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to have to watch him again. I don't think I was watching him at that point. It was more when he grabs him around the neck. I was like proper into it. Like, here we go. They're going to fucking go now. You know, you've yeah. seen the movie before. That's when I was in. I was like, oh, he's having none of it. He don't care how big the Kurgan is. It's time to go. I, I will say, Dave, though, after this scene, now, we've, we've watched plenty of movies over the years. We've seen plenty of scenes where people get it on. Sex scenes, you know, I used to love watching a bit of uh, Basic Instinct back in the day in Slither, <laughs> mainly on my own. But anyway, There's, you know, DVDs made a massive leap forward, didn't they? Because when you used to pause it yeah. on the VHS, it'd be all wiggly and you couldn't really see it. <laughs> yeah, but what you used to have to do, Dave, when, when, when you lived in a house full of nine, well, eight brothers and sisters, you always fast forward it past the sex scene so nobody realizes you've been watching it, Dave. There's a little tip for yeah, anyone who's still got a VHS, if you don't want to get rumbled, fast forward past it <laughs> just slightly. Anyway, 35 minutes in, I think the first bit was in Sliver, uh, in Basic Instinct. Anyway, carry on. So, what I would say, Dave, is we've seen plenty of erotic gestures, we've seen plenty of like. How would you get together? How would you know romance somebody? 
I've never seen somebody get stabbed in the stomach and the woman be completely turned on that she realizes he's not dead and then just jumps all over him for the night. Now, that is some dating technique, Dave. You've got to give her credit for that. It's not one I'd want to try, to be honest, but, uh, you know, no. it works for you. So, I, I, you know what, Chris? I just didn't buy any of this romance story at all. You know, the the fact, you know, she's obviously, uh, what was it, she's FBI or whatever, police, forensics probably. So she's, you know, she's figuring out who he is and stuff. And I just, I don't know if it was in the performance. There was just zero chemistry between them. So it, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's kind of a trope, isn't it? You know, you've got to have a bit of romance in there. But yeah, I, I just wasn't bought into it at all. No, it's, it's sensational, all this. And I mentioned earlier the little scene after he, he's in the he's looking at the lions, Christopher Lambert. I think the lion was acting better than him when he's trying to intimidate the lion, so he's not scared of him. And that's when the music changes and you see the dark silhouette in the background. The Kurgan has finally seen Heather. And the next scene is when and he does the old, you know, here's Johnny, and he turns up at her apartment, Dunny, and uh, grabs her and stuff and takes her on this ride in the vehicle and and you know and this is where we're building to like the end of the of the movie really you know it's a bit the ending i would say the fight you know what? i've got no problem with the fight dave and the way that connor comes and she's trussed up on the roof and that uh, i would just i just think it's difficult i've said this before the kurgan sword is so big to wield. It's like when, when you play computer games, you know I'm a massive gamer. I don't play sorcery games or anything, but when I have played them, when you've got the guy with the big sword, they're the ones who can do the most damage, right? Because they'll literally, one swipe of that sword takes half your power away, right? But if you've got a little guy with a little sword, they can do twice as much damage because they're, by the time you're wielding it, they've already got in and bloody stabbed you up and that. And it was difficult to follow the, the sword because you can clearly see that Clancy Brown is struggling in some of them fight scenes and what else have we watched with swords where I mentioned this as well where oh it's a uh, He-Man yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's wielding that sword and it's so even though he was an absolute specimen he was an absolute juiced up freak in that he looked amazing he couldn't wield the sword and that was one of the things about it and this is the same the sword fighting He's, he's good, and, and and I believe the battle, and I believe that, obviously, you know, Connor's basically just going to get his head chopped off, and she saves him at the last minute. But when he the, the Kurgan's about to kill her, and then he puts his sword across, and he goes, uh, what took you so long? It's like, he wouldn't even do that. All of a sudden, he's putting a bit of humour in when he's about to have his head chopped off. <laughs> it's just it's fucking stupid. But Spider-Man. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, and I know I'm jumping a bit here to let you speak, but I will say, when the battle finishes, that for me, even when he says there can only be one, oh, for fuck's right sake, you didn't. No, did I not get it right? Oh, no. It's like the Matrix. He doesn't love the there Matrix can so be. much. Um, only one. Yeah. That, that as well. <laughs> there can be only one. That bit, even though his accent is ridiculous, the whole way that comes up the warehouse, now that is iconic 80s movies done right there. Yeah. No, the, the, the end bit is the, oh, that you know, a few seconds is absolutely fantastic. And what I'll tell you, Chris, is, again, you think back to how they did these special effects, because I think some of it looked amazing. And you had these swords sparkling away and cl when they're clashing. And the way they did that, and again, I don't think you'd get away with this health and safety-wise these days, but they basically had a wire to each sword. And you had it, this running down the arms of the actors, 
like straight to a car battery. <laughs> so, so you know, it was all there was no CGI or anything like that, and that's how they got that effect. And I just thought, fucking hell, that sounds dangerous. But um, yeah, no, really good. I'm with you, I, I, and you know, again, I, I think this is a bit of a um, Return of the Jedi kind of take off you know you've got the kurgan in all this black there looking a bit darth vader you've got little christopher lambert you know who's like the luke skywalker role so i i thought it looked quite like that but i couldn't help but think about the reality of it as well i just thought the kurgan is so fucking huge that there's just christopher lambert has got no fucking chance <laughs> obviously he's the hero of the story so he, he has to win out and stuff but i'd just wasn't buying it but you're absolutely right when it when it the camera just moves towards his his head doesn't he he's got the sword up in front of his face and he utters those words there can be only one it's just fucking you know what it's fucking brilliant you know Dave, that is one of your best impressions. <laughs> I don't know whether it comes across people listening on podcasts, but mine have been goddamn awful in this for this. I've not even attempted to get near, but that would you know what, Dave? That was good that. That sounded like him. I'll so, give you that. And and to be honest, it's probably just because I've watched it so many times. I don't know why that doesn't help my other impressions, but I, I'll be honest, <laughs> I, the, the only one I've actually practiced, I think, is the Bane one. <laughs> The others uh, just fucking throw them out there, but <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. You're <laughs> No, we're not doing that on every podcast, Dave. Bane's gone on every podcast ever since the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, but, um, yeah I, I think you're right. We even had we've been guests on another podcast, and they were doing it by the end of the episode. What they Dave? Fucking That's... loved it. The guys over at the Predator Minute. I'm not actually sure when that one's going to release. It probably will be released at this point, but minute eighty nine. Uh, so if you search for Predator Minute podcast, and yeah, we had a lot of fun with that, didn't we? And the, the oh, guys were um, once we told them the trick with the cup, you know, just do the cup, and that really helps. <laughs> they couldn't stop doing it. I, I think it was Jeff. Was it Jeff or John? Jeff, uh, Jeff yeah. everything. Jeff, every time we spoke, he just, <laughs> he just kept doing it. No matter what else, he was like. See you next week. You know, it's like, <laughs> as a 41-year-old man putting a cup in my mouth, Dave. But yeah, um, amazing, Dave. And I do agree. I think the ending's great. I I, I do. I, I really, really do think it's an iconic 80s moment. I, I do. So, Dave, is it time to get into our review? Yeah, let's go. Dave, I'm going to let you go first today. I think um, I'm just trying to work out what I'm going to say and not offend Max too much. So. <laughs> right. So, like I say, I've watched this a lot of the times as a kid. I remember it really sort of captured my imagination. I mean, it's fucking a bit of history, a bit of Highland stuff there. You've got sword fighting. You've got the idea of being immortal. What is there not to like? I think one of the things I didn't probably mention in the review there, I, I, again, I'm not buying really that, Connor McLeod would overcome the Kurgan, Kurgan, sorry, um, because I mean the Kurgan's probably killed like thousands of people. You know, he's just a fucking big mincer, isn't he? You know, he just fucking yeah. chews everyone up and spits them out. So, you know, in the quickening, the amount of extra people he's absorbed, he, he would just be, you know, the biggest baddie in in you know computer game terms. So, 
in that first fight scene, when he's fighting the chap there and he's doing his backflips, I was thinking, oh, shit, this is going to fucking ruin any love I've got for this. But actually, from there, and, and obviously I poked a bit of fun at it, and I do think Christopher Lambert is miscast. But then you've got things like, well, the Queen soundtrack is just phenomenal. There's a lot more Queen on it than I actually remember. Um, obviously, who wants to be, uh, who wants to live forever is there. And I guess the only crime is that, that you know, they haven't actually got a Highlander soundtrack. I know basically it's the kind of magic is predominantly this uh, this soundtrack, but it would be nice just to have its own little soundtrack there. So yeah, for me, I think for all the plot holes, for the ridiculous accents all around, you know, you've got Sean Connery, you've got Christopher Lambert. I'm not buying their kind of background at all. I mean, you've got Sean Connery in fucking Scotland. Why do you need to make him Spanish slash Egyptian? You know, it just sort of makes no sense to me. But there is just something that captures the imagination about it. And it's just... It's just a fun watch, and I haven't probably watched this in like 20 years or something. And so I wasn't expecting it to stand up at all, but it kind of does. And and again, even the ridiculous bits of it, I think there's definitely things wrong with it, but it just brings me a lot of joy and a, a lot of fun. So I can't really, in good faith, I can't send it to Pleasantville. I don't think it's quite that good, um, but I will have it as a middle of the road. I'm going to send it to Hill Valley. What about yourself, Chris? You know what, Dave? I come into this thinking, right, that's it. I'm going to, you know, absolutely lay into it. Just because I had so much fun watching it. It was a classic movie just to watch again and having that baggage of being forced to watch it. But I genuinely enjoyed it. I mean, I've built hundreds of flat packs in my time, Dave. It's one of my fortes. And I think the cupboard I've got in front of me with fucking more active than Christopher Lambert. (laughs) He's the wooden as fucking this. However, he's not bad when you've got such a good baddie. It works the opposite way of my theory. Um, actually, the Kurgan is the man in this movie. I hated him as a kid. Absolutely hated him. But I'll tell you what, he's brilliant. Clancy Brown is fantastic. We've both queued over him in this, and quite rightly, he is the ultimate bad guy, one of the best of the 80s. Too many iconic scenes for me to mark it down, Dave. I really, really enjoyed watching it towards the end, even though it is a Terminator fucking rip-off for me <laughs> in parts. Um, and I get it. If it ain't broke, then why try and fix it? I understand that. I understand why they did it, and that was their choice. But loved it. Absolutely on fire with it. So I'm not going to send it to the top. I'm not even going to send it to Pleasantville, Dave. I'm going to put it in the higher levels of Hill Valley, just for the simple reason of Christopher Lambert. If he'd, he'd have given a good performance as Clancy Brown, it'd be up there as one of the best for me, even though it is 80s and there is bits that are of its time. It's a great movie. And Max, I hope we've done you proud there, making you had a laugh with uh, some of the jokes we threw out there today, because it is a good movie. It's, it's one of the better 80s movies we've done, Dave. Yeah, it... it... It is a franchise-worthy creating storyline, isn't it? You know, even though, you know, in theory, there can be only one. At the end of the movie, there's only one. So, you know, that should be the end of it. But if it does make money, like you say, it must have made money on the rental market or something for them to, you know, do more sequels. But apparently they don't go very well. 
Now, Chris, of course, today was brought to you by our executive producers. We've got Tony Farina, we've got Brent across from the Cinema Chat podcast, and we've got John Hammond as well. So thanks to those guys. If you want to support us as well, get across to patreon.com forward slash the VHS Strikes Back. You'll have all kinds of different levels, everything from a pound uh, to support the show, all the way to our McFly, which is where we'll basically take you across to Vegas and you know we'll record something there. Utterly ridiculous. No one will ever do it but you never know i'll keep throwing it out there we may have some rich benefactor in fact i'd be probably a little bit suspicious <laughs> you know you were talking about operation <laughs> u tree chris maybe uh maybe we wouldn't sign up for that but anyway chris what are we going to do next week oh no <laughs> That's right. We are going to go back and we are going to look at uh, menthol sweet <laughs> adverts. <laughs> so when Don't you have a really sore home, throat, kids. you know, get some lockets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know Thanks, what? I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to try. You know, oh, this is going to go badly. But as soon as you've thrown it out, I'll go. Yes. <laughs> 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 just as bad. Oh, no. <laughs> We're getting bad at these days. <laughs> so, yeah, we are going to cover the 1982 Steven Spielberg classic, E.T. So, Chris, let's get into the trailer. Let's go. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978... He directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, The fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love, the warning, the signal, the mystery, the danger. The intrusion, the wonderment, the enchantment, the hope, the connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Now, Chris, I have no idea to what to expect with that one because I, I've, I, again, I haven't watched it for years. Obviously, still recognise the uh, the music and everything, but I, I, I don't know. I, it's such an iconic film, but I, I'm not. I don't have too high an expectation for this one. 
No, I, I watched, you know what, Dave? It's funny, you know, because I'll be honest, I have never watched E.T. when it first came out. I avoided it because I just thought it was not my type of film. And I only watched it about 10 years ago, to be honest. So I don't know how I'm going to feel. I've only seen it once before. I know all the iconic bits and everything, but I didn't dislike it when I watched it. It was more just a box ticking exercise to say, can say to people, yeah, I finally watched E.T. more than it was me wanting to watch it. Yeah, no, well, it'll be interesting. I remember watching it at the time, but uh, I mean, we'll talk all about that next week as well. So, Chris, are you going to finish us off for today? I am, yeah. So, if you want to contact us, guys, at VHS Strikes Back on Twitter. If you want to email us, the VHS Strikes Back at gmail.com. And if you do get a chance, guys, uh, get over to your podcast captain app and just try and drop myself and Dave a review on the show. We really appreciate all the feedback. And if you do love the show and you want to support myself and Dave, if you get over to patreon.com forward slash BHS Strikes Back, we have a Patreon there with various different levels, starting at a pound as just a supporter of the show, all the way up to the McFly, where we will take you out to Vegas, record possibly a 10 15 minute podcast and then we'll just party for the rest of the week so what more could you ask dave um i sort of did that bit (laughs) did you go to sleep yeah (laughs) (laughs) you were you went to sleep at the start i'm gonna sleep at the end Sorry, you're not boring, Dave. Honestly, I might, I might, we, might just, we go into autopilot, we're doing that many podcasts. So uh, anyway, if you didn't catch what Dave said about a minute ago, I've just said it again, just in case. We, we've, got our, we've got our July sales push on now, haven't we? So, you know, if you didn't catch it the first time, then hopefully you catch it the second time. Yeah, whichever pitch you, you thought was better, just go with that. But yeah, we are where we say we are. So Dave, I'll see you next time. I was going to try and do a Christopher Lambert impression, but I can't. (laughs) There can be only one. (laughs) It was more Spanish, that one, wasn't it? (laughs) That's it, man. It's game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'll be back. That's not. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Wax on, wax off. One ring the bell. All right. Ding, ding. Bust you up. Go for it. Well, here we go. Yeah, maybe you're you're crazy. Crazy. Hey, heavy. He's a fool, he's stupid. I've seen you in six months.